Welcome to the RAB Poetry Podcast, where we bring you the stories behind the words, where every poem has a story behind it. Our podcast is a journey through the hearts and minds of poets as we delve into the inspirations, struggles, and triumphs that fuel their work. In each episode, we'll feature a poem, sharing the underlying stories and reciting the most powerful and moving pieces. From various poems on wide variety of topics and rising poets and authors, our podcast is the perfect companion for anyone who loves poetry and the power of words. Whether you're a seasoned poetry enthusiast or just getting started, you'll find something to love on the RAB Poetry Podcast. So tune in and let the stories of our poets take you on a journey of inspiration and emotion. Listen to the REB Poetry Podcast, available on all major platforms now. Welcome to Fandom Power. Hey guys, what's up? It's uh, Wes, Andy, and Hank, and we are back again. This time, it's part two of our So What series. It's our three-part look at uh, Marvel's What If. Uh, today, we're going to cover the uh, middle three episodes and pick up kind of where we left off. So uh, this week around, what are we talking about? We had a bit of a hiatus because we were waiting for the, the middle three to drop. Uh, in fact, we That's just right. had the middle, I guess it'd be uh, we just had four, the first four, five, the six, third. and seven. Seven is out now, so... Uh, what if, what if, what if Thor was an only child or as I and most of the internet like to call it party Thor. All right. Party Thor. Party Thor. Uh, I'm just going to preface the, uh, the episode just by telling you guys right now that the middle three episodes by far have been the weakest, but that's my opinion. Yeah, straight up my opinion. I find it just been really hard for me to uh, to watch them with the same enthusiasm that I had for the first three, which I thought were really yeah. good. And and well, I'd certainly say they're at least the darkest. Oh, I town. yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt about that. Especially Maybe. going into yeah. the Doctor Strange episode, which Hank is going to take us through. Yeah, after watching it the first time, I have a friend at work that we you know we text back and forth after hours and stuff, talk about. Uh, the, the stuff a lot and yeah. I, I was like have you seen it yet and he was like no i was like watch it before you watch it with your 10 year old oh right right like, yeah yeah decide decide honestly if you know i don't know your 10 year old so he's but screen cool, screen but it for your kids I, yeah i would because it's super dark there's no, I probably agree a lot of questions that it would raise in a child yeah it, com- so. conversely and i'm not trying to steal anybody's thunder but then we we right off the heels of the doctor strange episode which is so dark we go right into zombies and, uh, you know, for me, right. the, the big saving grace with zombies is it's, it's, it's broken up with those big comedy moments that kind of keep it light and, and fluffy, but really you, you take that element out and holy cow. Yeah. No, certainly I, I, the first time I watched it, I was like, wow, that's super dark too. But then I was like, no, tonally, yeah. it's, you know, like the walking dead where the zombies are the environment. It's totally light. Yeah. Yeah. And then that takes right. us into uh, the Killmonger episode, uh, or as I like to call him, Mister Murder Machine. Yeah, <laughs> that's my. I, that is my least favorite episode. Is of it all the ones I've seen so far? Yeah, I will admit, and I'll talk about it more when we get down to my episode uh, on the the second watch through. And this, as we've uh, seen before, with a lot of our Star Wars stuff, is 
when you watch something under the guise of, as I call it, review eyes, it adds so much more depth because I think you're just, you're looking to scrutinize it to that level where I will admit the second watch around was a lot better than the initial presentation. So yeah. Do you want to get into it? Let's Let's do it. All right, Hank, we're over to you for uh, what if, what if Dr. Strange lost his heart instead of his hands? Okay. Well, this one, I, I'll try to get through this as succinctly as possible, sure. but uh, it's 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 much like the timelines. It's all over the place. So I may rewind time a few times to go over a few <laughs> things. So let's see though. Um, so it that the title is actually what what if Doctor Strange lost his heart instead of his hands? But it's it could be a subtext there. What if what if Doctor Strange had a better relationship with Christine Palmer? Oh yeah. Because there's a moment that happens in the movie that doesn't occur in in this. And that moment in the movie is he invites her to this award ceremony and she blows him off. Oh, that's right. So their relationship is strained in the MCU. Right. And so the the, the main difference here, actually, is that we have a better Stephen Strange, believe it or not. We have a better... Stephen Strange, because he's obsessed not not with fixing things and narcissism and therefore his hands and yeah, his ability yeah. to fix things, but he's obsessed with with Christine. He's he's treating her properly. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. Like they're clearly madly in love. They're flirting. They're you know what I mean. This is a different Stephen Strange. Well, he's I know that uh, that initial presentation in his film really, uh, if if anything that they did really really well was they captured that essence of of how much of a as you say, a narcissistic jerk he was, yeah. like flipping D-bag. through, yeah, flipping through <laughs> case files, looking for the most serious cases because anything less than that was not worth his effort. Yeah. Okay, so then there's something cool. So they're now they're in a vehicle, they're driving. It's the same vehicle where we we know that that crash yeah, takes his yeah, hands, yeah, yeah, yeah. which you know. So they're in that vehicle, and and while he's flipping through files, looking for the most you know amazing things he can do, he flips through a file. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in the MCU movie, and it's a file on a, a, bis, a bisecting a hemisphere. Yeah, you just flip through it. It's like it, it's, it's innocuous, but she she's like, you just performed a bisecting of a hemisphere. Oh, if you look that up. That's a procedure yeah, that they yeah. normally do in child to stop epilepsy. Yeah, they either remove half the brain or they they sever the connections between the two halves of the brain. Interesting. And it's a radical, crazy, super rare. You know, maybe three pl- people on the planet could do it. Yeah. She's referencing he's getting this award because he just did this. Because he did it. <laughs> but it's symbolic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's symbolic because he's about to be split in two. Oh, yeah, yeah. Doesn't that make sense? So, okay, now we get a car crash. It's horrible. Uh, and and in the car crash, shot for shot. Yeah. It's from the movie. And Christine dies because he wasn't, you know, alone. Uh, the The... The motivation for him to seek, yeah, there's the funeral. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's what a tragic episode. The motivation, instead of losing his hands, it's, it's this, it's the same thing inside him. Okay. The, his hands before were his gateway, like almost like a crazy or person like interacting with the world. Those are his, his hands were his way of doing that. Yeah. And now his heart was, is gone. Yeah. Just the yeah, way his yeah, hands yeah. were gone. So this is his motivation. 
to seek out the mystic arts and the ancient one and become right. a sorcerer supreme. And right, so that right, plays right, right, out right. almost identically. He finds the ancient one. He trains. He fights Dormammu. Yeah. Yeah. And he saves the universe. But two years go by. And instead of like moving on, not I'm not a surgeon anymore. I'm now a doctor of the mystic arts. Yeah. He's still like, which, which replaced his ability to work with his hands. He now fixes things with his hands in a whole other way. Oh, right, right, right. right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But now his heart is still gone. Even though he saved the universe, his heart is still gone. So when we cut to him and Wong, right. Got that. And it's the anniversary, two year anniversary of the crash. Yeah. And look at him. He's so, and the animation is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. The likenesses are so good in this. Oh man. And with that little tweak of businessification, plus the fact I got to point out that every single character, that major character in this is, is uh, reprised by the, the MCU yep. actor. Yep. And in this scene, Wong tells him, I'm going to go put on some tea. It's, I know it's the two year anniversary and I know it hurts, but you got to move on, man. Right. And I'm going to go put on some tea and I think you should do it before you do something reckless. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. But he doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> He doesn't go and join him for tea. Instead, he chooses to do something reckless and he puts on the eye of Agamotto. And now this is super important. He rewinds time for himself. Right. So there's a there's a huge distinction here, which is the let I didn't get a screenshot of the apple, but there's that's this is the lesson of him tinkering with the apple in the movie. Yeah, yeah, and the yeah. Reason why they show us again in this in the show, doubling down on that, because he doesn't have the ability to travel through time. Not like Ant-Man in the quantum realm. Not no. like the device that Stark and Banner built. He can only rewind time. Right. This is why he doesn't cause Nexus events when he does this. Otherwise, he'd be branching, you know. Right. And so we're going to get into the mechanics of what's going on in What If and what's going on in the multiverse. Yeah, yeah. And the mechanics of what Loki did. Oh, okay, yeah. And the difference is very different to the difference between a multiverse and a timeline. Right, right, right. There are many universes. Yes. And each one of them has multiple timelines. Yeah, yeah. So when Doctor Strange can't travel through time or multiverses, when he's using the Aya Agamotto to search through 14,605 possibilities, yep. he's not looking through 14, you know, because we get that impression that he's looking at different dimensions and which one is the best one. And we're going to go that way. Right. But what he's doing is looking at 14, 14,605 versions gotcha. of what could happen inside that, that universe. universe. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So we have to remember that. <laughs> I can't believe I'm, a, we're having this deeper conversation. I'm like, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, this episode blows me away with the yeah, mechanics yeah. of what's going on here. Um, okay. So we're back on track in terms of the story. So he, then becomes obsessed uh, with rewinding time and trying to save Christine. Yeah, but yeah. The first time he does it, it plays out identically, and a car wipes them out, and she dies again. And he he, he tries multiple different things. I won't get into all the the different ways he does it, but they, they include a, a gunshot. They include her having a heart attack. They include her apartment building being destroyed. Yeah. Um, in, in an explosion and bit of a Groundhog Day vibe he, there. He finally he just breaks. Yeah. And he's 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 weeping on his knees at the accident site when the ancient one appears to him and and, and says, you know, <laughs> crazy, crazy dark line, having car trouble, Doctor Strange. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> like that's what, like, you know, like she's beyond that. 
if you will. You know what I mean? Like death yeah. is a thing. Like that's that's nothing to. But she's warning him that what he's doing is 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 not the right path, and that he needs to calm down and let go, and it's not too late. But he 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 he's obsessed. He's still obsessed. He's he 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 didn't evolve. I guess I, the actual the crux is the thing I said before that his hands. His ability to fix things was re- replaced with something new, but this his crux isn't the, his ability to fix things. His crux is his heart, and so he can't replace that. Yeah, and so that's why he can't listen to the ancient one. And they have a they have a brief skirmish, and she she wields yellow magic, he wields the time magic, but she breaks through, hits him in his chest, and, and uh, he sort of just absorbs it. You know, they 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 seem sort of evenly matched. But uh, she says, I'll, uh, whatever you do, I'll stop you. And he says, you'll have to find me first. And so yeah. he disappears. And where he goes, now this is very interesting. He actually rewinds time for himself here, but way crazier than he's ever done before. Yeah. What he does here is he rewinds time thousands of years and goes back to the library of Cagliostro. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So in the library of Cagliostro, first he meets Oban. Now, uh, this character Oban tells him that he's the librarian of uh, Cagliostro. Yep. But in the comics, in the comics, he's Cagliostro. It's just a oh. a, a pseudonym. Yeah, yeah, sure. And Cagliostro is a is actually a historical charlatan, but they, they've adopted him in the Marvel universe. They made him uh, a sort of look Mandarin looking kind of yep. guy. But he's he's semi immortal, and gotcha, he's also gotcha. uh, a, a, a mystic arts guy. He's definitely a, a magician of uh, Marvel kind of renown, but his thing is that he's semi-immortal because he drinks the blood of vampires. Oh. And I think you're going to see this character uh, played by the actor yep. in the animated series in the Blade film. Hmm. I was just I was just thinking about that. It was I was going to say Blade or what about the Morbius film? Possibly. Maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely uh, he's too sort of a large of an actor to be have a, like a couple lines. No, you're movies. right, you're right. I was thinking just um, just for a second here, the, just sure. on a superficial level, I uh, I kind of equated Doctor Strange in this movie to Anakin Skywalker and his drive to want to save Padme. Yes, you know, it's very similar. One hundred percent. I yeah, that wasn't lost on me at all. In fact, Lauren was like a little bit. She's like, I'm sort of tired of the trope. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Like, oh, my girlfriend's dead. I need to bring her yeah, back. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, and as a as a woman, she's like, like, can we get another angle on that? I'm tired <laughs> of it. But I felt that it really worked strongly in this. So, oh uh, yeah, I think um, it did as well. So he he goes to the library of Cagliostro, and Cagliostro warns him that what he's doing is very dangerous, but that yeah. he's not going to stop. Or well, sorry, Oban um, uh, tells him that you know uh, you I'll let you have access. You made it here. I'm not going to oppose you. And so he starts to go through the library and there's this moment. It's kind of like WandaVision where the books are, he's using the magic, the books are swirling around him. And then he settles upon this one book and the book is super familiar because it's the book that he reads in the MCU movie. Right. It's the book that three pages are missing from because uh, I can't remember the guy's name. Caecilius. Caecilius rips those three pages out because that's, the pages that enable him to do his time crap in, yeah. the, in the in the first movie. That's right, yeah. Um, but he's traveling, and this is how we know that he just didn't pop over to Cagliostro's yesterday. Right, He went right. back in time because this book is the same book that is now in his possession, mm-hmm. but it's in a different place. So with the pages intact, he can actually read how to do this. Right, Which right. is to, to rewind time in such a fashion that he might be able to, you know, 
So to get enough power to do this, he, he, he learns that he has to absorb the, the mystical energy of extra dimensional creatures. Yeah. I found this whole sequence, uh, this next sequence, as he's doing that, there is a lot going on there. Yeah. So he's like Dr. Strange, super arrogant, right? He's He's still that guy. So the first thing he does is he reads the book and it says, well, here's the biggest mystical being you could suck energy from. So yep. he conjures it first. Like we have, yeah, so that's a great scene. So we have the tentacle beast and uh, we recognize that tentacle beast from the uh, first What If episode, Sharon Carter. I yeah. think it's the same beast. And in fact, I'll go, I'll go everyone one further and it's a popular internet. Um, uh, it's not very controversial, but I believe that that beast is Shumagorath. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Shumagorath is a, a, a well-known Doctor Strange uh, sort of, I can't call him a villain because he's, antagonist. he's beyond that. Yeah, yeah. He's definitely an antagonist. And his thing is that he exists outside reality, in between realities. And really? can go through realities. And that's his shtick in the comics. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's not overused, but I, I totally think that you're going to find him... Uh, as the villain of the Doctor Strange movie. Oh, yeah, okay. I think so. I think so. The second one. So, um... He was purple in the uh, Marvel vs. Capcom game, though. Oh, was he? That's right. He was purple. Let's see. So, I lost myself there. Uh, (laughs) He summons up uh, Tentacle Beast, and he's, like, all cordial with him. Yeah, right. He picks him up and does the the Thor thing. Yeah, yeah. And off camera, (laughs) because he, he just wakes up in a bed. Oban yeah. saved him. So there's oh. our indication that Oban is a very powerful source. Right, right, right. Because right. he just, this guy just wiped the floor with Doctor Strange, and this guy saved Doctor Strange from that creature. Whether he just closed the portal, we don't know. So, and then he gives him a, a little less. He says, you know, you're like, you're, you're going about this all wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't, you can't, essentially, you can't seize life by the throat. You've got to, you've got to break it down into participles. And, and he, he, he interprets that like, okay, well, I'll start by sucking the energy of small yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, beings. Yeah. And he works his way up. In, uh, I think I have a shot of a, a red dragon. There. There's quite a bit I going on there. There's a lot of different creatures. I can I love a the, six-eyed raven. I love I the first one that he pulls out, though, the little gnome. The I, little vampire gnome or whatever? Yeah. Sucks it up. I, wanna, I believe that this red dragon is the red dragon from Shang-Chi. So I want to talk. That's the guardian. I want to talk about that sequence for a second because, one, it's not lost on me, and I know about you guys, that as soon as he starts doing that, visually speaking, it's the same spell effect that Agatha Harkness uses. The visual of that magic looks exactly like uh, what her power is. And speaking of the Shang-Chi connection, one of the creatures, I don't know if you got a shot of it, Hank, one of the creatures that he absorbed was one of the soul eaters from Talo. Yeah, the, the soul, yes. soul, soul I, I, eater. I didn't is that get right? A shot of it, soul but I eater. Did note that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So who knows? It so definitely I, could this be. This is the uh, and the red dragon is the guardian of the reality. Yeah. Like, so he he's he's taking out major players extra dimensionally here. Right. Like you know he's building his way up, um, until he he gets to a place where he's literally able to to to. You know, take a oh, oh I, one little great actually my favorite comedic beat in the whole thing is when he summons an insect creature who's got a sentient cape. Oh and he kills yeah, a sentient yeah, yeah, cape yeah, yeah. And then sends the creature back through the portal, saying, "I draw the line at bugs." You get the, <laughs> like he's actually consuming these things, but he draws yeah, the line yeah, at bugs. Yeah. Now he's got a sentient cape. But if you notice now that 
and, and Lauren and I, and I don't know if the internet is going to adopt this. I hope so. We've been calling him Doctor Strange. And that's Doctor, yeah, yeah. He's actually absorbing the red dragon in that shot. But his costume now more comic accurate. Yep. This this version of Doctor Strange has a more comic accurate costume, uh, except that the symbol on his chest isn't white; it's dark to represent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And did you guys have you guys seen that? There's already a Marvel Legends What If. Doctor Strange. It's called Strange Supreme. I haven't already. seen that yet. I've seen some already. of the other What If way, uh, What yeah. If figures, but not yeah. this one. No. The Doctor Strange is beautiful. It's beautiful. But yeah. Let's yeah, go yeah. back into Agatha Harkness's <laughs> power signature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the visual on Agatha Harkness's powers, which I have to say was not lost on me. That as soon as I saw Strange starting to suck the life force, I'm like, that's Agatha Harkness's uh, power signature. Uh, yeah, very, very similar, and 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 in fact. We, one thing I forgot to mention here is that we've switched from his yellow magic, the, yep. of the ancient one, to, yeah. to the red chaos magic of Wanda Maximoff. Right, right. But we're we're really going to shift heavily into that uh, as the episode gets gets closing here too. Right, right. Um, and it's neat that the Watcher <laughs> at this point, the Watcher is like, you know, I could step in here and say something, but I doubt he'd listen. Yeah, that's right. This first uh, first time where the Watcher is actually, you know. Uh, batting around the idea yeah of, yeah yeah yeah. you know he's not just a his oath you know we've seen him where he's actually right he's done the he's had some like facial expressions of like <gasps> but then doesn't do anything it doesn't say anything but in this one it's a right a little different yeah so in this scene in particular the watcher narrates as he always does in every episode but it's he he's he's talking differently here he's he's like i could intervene i i could warn him I could tell him that he's about to break the entire universe, but I can't do that. Right. Because it would break all the other universes. Right. right. You get this, you start to get this sort of, uh, watcher prime directive. Yeah. You know what I mean? I can't interfere. And this is the, this is the song of the watcher. I can't interfere. I can't interfere. It's the song of the watcher all through the comics. And what I'm, I guess not worried about, but a lot of people are like, yeah, the watcher is going to directly intervene in one of these episodes, he's going to directly intervene. In, f- in fact, a lot of people are talking about um, there's a what if miniseries uh, in the I think the 90s where the Watcher went through the realities and picked superheroes to defend the multiverse. Really? So a lot of people think that we might be heading that direction here. in an MCU um, style. But I hope not because in my heart, I'm still in the 70s. Yeah. And the one time the Watcher intervenes is actually to save. Uh, earth because earth is so important in terms of it's like a hub as a uh, it's like a nexus point in the market yeah, yeah. 616 all the beings that are powerful originate there but he actually intervenes by giving reed richards the ultimate nullifier to defend the planet against galaxis galactus right? yeah yeah and i i don't want that not to happen and i don't want that to be watered down by the the watcher going i just I, whenever i feel like it i break the world <laughs> <laughs> you know that that yeah, has yeah. some if we can watch the watcher for five years not yeah. intervene and then he does it to save the world from galactus that has more hope for me that, that's, right, that's right, my right. hope for the character but it's important here because Stephen strange he either hears him or senses him because he turns around and he's like who's there yeah that's yeah, yeah, crazy yeah. that's crazy yeah so uh, he's powered up to we, a we level where he can sense that before them. in any yeah. of these episodes all these episodes have been about themselves yep this episode is more about the mechanics of of the multiverse, of the mechanics of what if. Like, they're laying down some of the rules here. 
Yeah, yeah. And yeah. the the Watcher is, you know, you're starting to see that powerful magical beings wielding chaos magic can interact with these extra dimensional beings. And you know, there's this whole other realm of stuff at play here. It's like I I can't wait till November to rewatch Shang-Chi in terms of some of what I've learned from this episode actually. Yeah, me too. Um, I'm looking for a, a second watch on that one. So finally, he summons the the tentacle beast again and, and cuts off the uh, the limbs and absorbs their energy and becomes uh, finally becomes what the internet is calling Doctor Strange Supreme. And to me, yeah. that sounds like he's got cheese and and uh, sour cream <laughs> on him. But but I like Doctor Strange a lot, actually. Yeah, but evil Doctor Strange here, and so and. It's, I've got in a note here, it's the difference between timelines and branches and nexus events is very important. He doesn't cause nexus events because he can't actually change Christine's death, which is an absolute point in time. And if he did, he would never find the motivation to become Sorcerer Supreme, Dormammu wins, universe destroyed. So it's, it's super important that he's mucking with timelines, but not mucking with the fabric, you know, the, the flow of the multiverse. He's not mm-hmm. dipping in and out of different dimensions um i shouldn't say that because each universe has multiple dimensions but he's not dipping into other universes and so there's a distinction there that's going to be probably very specific in the movies that are coming up especially the fifth the fifth wave of stuff um so then we revisit cagliastro in his deathbed yeah and it's it's revealed that that he stephen strange has been doing this for centuries so we've seen him do it to about six creatures, but he's been doing right, this right, right. nonstop for centuries. Wouldn't that be a montage? And, <laughs> and so, and here's well, they, they, and, the well, they up, a little montage because they show they actually show Cagliostro's library changing through time, like the right, the, right, right. The, the seasons change. The, the there's erosion in the cliffs, kind of cool. Yeah, the vegetation where I, disappears. Right, right, and this here, and this here is my uh, sort of smoking gun that this is Cagliostro because. He just says to, to Stephen here, I've watched you do this for centuries. Right. So he, he's been alive for centuries and he's old and he maybe he's on his deathbed. And he actually prevents Stephen from reversing time on him to sort of, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to do that. But there's, there's a little, there's a, there's a key point here. Um, when Stephen Strange, he, he sort of reverses time for a small portion of the world here so he doesn't age because he keeps rewinding himself within a rewinding himself oh, he's yeah. he's rewound his own time back to the 2000 years ago yeah but then on like a like a i guess like a, a yo-yo or a pendulum he's unhinged himself from that timeline and he's traveling re- mm-hmm. repeatedly back in time within that other timeline <laughs> and so he's not aging although th- he's now probably a thousand or two thousand years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, that makes sense in terms of what happens very shortly because what Cagliostro tells him, and I got actually one little point here. Sorry, Cagliostro is very important in the in the comic universe in six one six. He's the the character that gives Wanda the Dark Bolt, oh. uh, which blows her power levels up. Yeah, yeah, and he's also the character that teaches is the the master of Doctor Doom in the Mystic Arts. Which oh. is another, and every time we stray close to the Fantastic Four, I go, ah. so like, I don't know if I can wait three years or whatever it is they're friggin' playing. I want it now. I keep yeah, watching yeah, the yeah. old movies, hoping they're different. But, um, uh, yeah, so I he tells them basically in the scene, like, you're not a whole person, mm-hmm. uh, you're, you're living half a life, you're half a man, 
Right. And Stephen doesn't understand that we fade out, but the, the, the watcher understands and the watcher actually gives us the punchline here. This is the actual twist to the episode. And the twist is that he's not a whole man that he's not even, he's not even the only doctor strange in the right. universe. That's right. That there's another doctor strange. Yep. And you're like, what? Yeah. Because what we've done is we've caught up to regular time now. Okay, so Stephen Strange went back 2,000 years in time and just started sucking the souls of Mystic And that's what he's been doing, yeah. He's been doing that for 2,000 years, and now we're exactly where we left off. Yeah. Because now Wong and Stephen, can we show that again? Oh, right. Uh, It's back in the chair. The the T. Right. It's now two years years after the the crash. Yeah. And this time, Stephen says, Wong, you're right. Let's go get some tea. And he puts the eye of Blackamoto down. Yeah. It's very different. Very different. A completely different Stephen Strange. Uh, uh, like, More this is the guy that can wield Thor's hammer. This yeah. The, 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 and, and almost like he's got different personality traits than the other guy. He's less obsessed. He's more willing to, like, understand points of view. And, and it actually becomes about his respect and love for Wong here a little bit. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's an allegory for all of humanity or maybe all beings in the universe. But he chooses to go for tea. And so the next day he walks outside. Yeah. It's a beautiful sunny day, but yeah. reality is breaking. Oh, yes. And not unlike the way when Thanos did the snap, instead of, uh, you know, pixels, if you will, from a yeah. film, yeah. this looks like ink from an animated show. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. So reality is breaking. And what happens here is the ancient one uh, appears to him. And it's the, I don't know if you have the image of her wreathed in, in ethereal light. There it is. And he's like, uh, aren't you dead? And she's like, yeah, no, I'm dead. But I'm appearing to you from a place somewhere on the astral plane between realities. Think of me like an echo. Yeah. The world is breaking and you've sensed that. And she's, she's you know, little lines like you've always, you've always been very intuitive. And he's like a superhero, right? He wants to know who's doing this. And she tells him that he is. Yeah. And that, and she explains what happened in that moment when they had that altercation yeah. uh, at the crash site right there. And she splits him in two within it. She creates, now this is super crazy powerful. She splits him in two, creating two individual timelines in the same universe. Right. That's crazy powerful. She even says she had to access the dark magic to To do it. it, The dark realm magic. And that's what she's been, you'll recall, she's been doing that to stay ancient. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's like we we sit and pause on that thought. That's crazy, crazy powerful, crazy powerful. Um, so she says to him, "The only person that could stop you is you." And so he he's contemplating that. He goes back inside, and Wong's there and says, "Okay, well, that's this is one of my favorite scenes too because I don't think I got an image of this." But Wong is disintegrating, but he's completely calm. Oh yes, yeah, I remember got, that. There's no doubt in his mind that Steve's going to stop this, and this that we're all good here. So he gives him the um what's it called the guardian Vishanti, which is a, a really powerful uh, protection uh, protection spell. And it's so cool. Cause in the fight, as he's getting punched and stuff and, and magic blasts, it's, l- l- runes are flying off him and less and less of the, the spell is protecting him. And yeah. It must be pretty powerful. So, and uh, uh, just to rewind time a little, um, <laughs> Wong says, you know, this will protect you, but I, you know, how are you going to find this guy? And he says, uh, he gets this feeling like I've already been found. And, you get that it's almost like the Einstein Rosenbridge from from Thor you get this weird thing where there you you get to understand that there's like 
he's pulled through his own timeline into the other timeline, but they're both in the same universe. In the same universe, yeah, yeah. There's a scene, and I didn't get it, but there's a scene in Loki where they're looking at the monitor of the time, like when the when the the bombs all go off. Yeah. And there's there's not one timeline with multiple branches, but there's two timelines with multiple branches in that yeah, one scene. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. know if you guys can remember that, but there's there's a, a shot on the screen where there's two lines with multiple time branches. So this is a, like crazy again, crazy powerful to be able to wield this kind of magic, and. um he gets sucked through that timeline into the other timeline. Yeah. And he's confronted by Dr. Strange. And, and he's basically saying, you know, I, I had to get you alone. I, I, I couldn't have the ancient one or Wong here. They don't understand. We loved her. Right. Like, like, you know, and he's for 2000 years, he's been spinning these wheels. So this, this neural pathway is entrenched and he's oh, yeah. so powerful here. Right. Uh, but we have we have noble steve who's like and, and not in any way been corrupted by this you know who's like no this is ridiculous you have to stop them i i have to stop you and, and then he tells him his plan which is I, I i need we need to become whole we need to because we're both not so powerful uh even though i mean he's exponentially more powerful than than good steve um, yeah yeah he needs to absorb him to uh to bring christine back to life to to break this absolute point in time now this is a very important sort of notion that the the the, um, the ancient one tells him of that and i have to rewind because i skipped over it but the ancient one tells him initially uh dr strange in in the parking lot that this is an absolute point in time that you can't break these yeah that they are fixed points in every reality that occur and occur and occur but the fixed points are different in every reality but they revolve around the 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 the, the linchpin of the character so this is the, this is sort of the central theme of what if because we're not following some random person in black panther clothes we're following t'challa right right we're not following some random person holding the thor hammer we're we're following thor odin's son yeah so these people while they're individual like they're all they're all like you know immovable points in time but what happens to them isn't right right so and it's also a doctor who theme that there's 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 immovable points in time that revolve around people's death like you would never stop hitler an episode in doctor who about that so that's that was that's and i i I did glance over a major part there but that's his obsession with going to cagliostro to learn how to break an absolute point in time yeah yeah. powerful enough and now he believes that he's there and all he needs to do is absorb the other doctor strange and they he will be powerful enough to do it and they they have a great fight um it's it's beautiful i didn't get too many shots of it because it's very quick moving but it's it's some lovely stuff there uh quite a bit of a back and forth but it's almost like dr strange is playing with him yeah um because then he just you know there's a cape fight which is great you see the cape fight i did yeah two capes yeah and then uh almost tragically he he rends the the good dr strange cape to pieces yeah and uh Wipes away the final. Well, brings him. Sorry, brings him to the mirror dimension, where he impersonates Christine Palmer and almost, almost gets him. But then there's like a flicker, like almost like a glitch, and yeah. he realizes, no, wait a minute, that's 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 me, <laughs> dude. I would do that. Yeah, yeah. And so then they they then they fall out of the mirror dimension, uh, into the onto the bridge below, and he wipes away the final rune and absorbs him. And you're like, see, in this scene, yeah, you think that that good Steve won and that that's the watcher. Yeah. It's yeah, so yeah, craftily yeah. done. It's so craftily done because when, when I didn't get the screenshot, but the opposite, when they pan around, 
it's a little white dot in the sky. Gotcha. But then he gets sucked through the ground. Yeah. So, and yeah, he's absorbed. He's lost. And in a, in a crazy twist, he, he, our, our hero loses and becomes one with, with Dr. Strange. Now the actual, uh, uh, fry Supreme. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and at this point, he decides, uh, I'm going to use this power, and I'm going to bring Christine back. So the first thing he does is he raises the card. I didn't get a screenshot of this, but the card deconstructs, and yep. her spirits like a, looks like a force ghost. She's yep. blue. And at, while he's concentrating on that magic, he's lost control of his corporal body. And now he's an amalgam. He's a chimera of all yeah, of Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right, yeah. And this shot is straight out of the Disney film Atlantis. If you guys have seen Atlantis. Yep. It's very, yep. very similar to a, what the sort of the finale or the punchline of Atlantis. Um, and I, he does it. He brings her back to life. He's powerful enough. He, he they, There's a close-up of his hands, and he rewinds time on his wrists. And now, when he first does this, the, the, the time stone is green, yeah. but it breaks and becomes red. Right. And so he's able to do this, but all the energy coalesces. So the time stone is broken, or the time stone is no longer the time stone. It's the the red one it's the reality stone yeah yeah or the reality guess, stone yeah. so yeah there's a there's a crazy fundamental change there he's wielding a different thing post this if he survives yeah we know yeah. what happens so she's alive but she's confused you know and i don't know if she remembers dying or whatever but she's like this isn't right and she's terrified of this monster because well he's just i mean like look at the guy he's got 30 <laughs> eyes and yeah yeah, yeah. He's, he's horrifying and uh she's trying to get away from him, trying to get away and 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 the world is disintegrating and it's actually getting smaller and smaller. And uh, he breaks off a piece of the land. And when he's, he, he, he's sort of concentrating, and he has this like moment, like maybe Anakin's moment of what have I done? What have I Where done? He yeah. Regains control of his corporal, you know, and he becomes, even though he's dark, he becomes even strange again. And she yeah. recognizes him. What have you done? She knows he's dead. You know, this is his fault somehow. Yep. And he's like, you know, and now he's repentant. And now, you know, just like, just like, you know, the, the prayer is the last vestige of all the scourges, right? You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now he's repentant. And the Watcher appears now that he's repentant. He's trying yeah. to use his power. And you'll notice even in this shot, he creates a geodesic dome just like Wanda. Yep, yep. To try to isolate his reality from the From the everything else, yeah. So it's a metaphor, right? It's the identical ability. Um but the Watcher actually speaks to him. He breaks the fourth wall. Although he doesn't intervene, he actually speaks directly to him. It's the to first him. time we've yeah. ever seen this. And he says, basically, he begs him to stop this, to intervene, to fix this. But the Watcher is snarky. The same way you fixed Christine, you were warned. And he says, I know, but I, I shouldn't have to pay with my arrogance. I, I, I read about you. And a, he read about him in the library yeah. of Cagliostro. What he's going, he read about the Watchers. That's the, the idea that humans have known. Now, so have like, known, yeah. Go down that rabbit hole. That's <laughs> really cool to me. Um, but um, he, he says, you're a god. You can fix this. And, and the Watcher says, I'm not a god. You you misunderstand whatever it was you read, essentially. I'm not a god, and neither are you. And he says, honestly, he said, well, he says, punish me then. Christine shouldn't have to pay. The world shouldn't pay. And the Watcher yeah. says, look, if I could, I would, actually. I actually would punish you for this and save the world, but I can't. I can't intervene. And so you get the sort of the punchline of what the watcher can and can't do. Yeah. I feel like he did interfere, but there's, there was no recourse. There's no, 
like he's at the extinction event, so he can interfere all he wants. At the at what point is you know interfering what, a little like, bit like Loki? You know the the idea well, that as soon as you talk to him, now that's interference. I mean, you you've revealed yourself. The average citizen walking around on on the six one six Earth has no idea of what a watcher is. Yeah, and but... I believe that when he appeared in the parking lot, he was yeah. also interfering. Because if that had influenced his decision, yeah, possibly, it yeah, been interfering, yeah. Yeah, but Doctor and Strange so, isn't your average six one six guy that, walking around. That is no, true. He, no, he can he can definitely sense, and you know, so if we you saying, sense this feeling, and then read about it in a book, you're going to go, oh, maybe two and two. Yeah. Are we are we saying degrees of interference? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> okay, fair maybe. enough. That's fair. Maybe. So he's up. using all his power to try to keep the universe at bay from collapsing, and as, yeah. as the uh, as the universe uh, closes in around him, and we see. Uh, Christine decaying further and further. We actually, for the first time, we understand that the Watcher is outside the geodesic dome. Yeah. So the Watcher is outside of the universe. Interesting. So that that's super important. That's super important because he's extra extra dimensional. Dimensional. I and I don't. I I think we, that we that we might have to, in terms of the MCU, might need to redefine certain things like what's a dimension versus what's a timeline versus what's a another universe and where do these pantheon of characters fit in terms of that does every universe get one watcher are there a council of watchers are there you know does one watcher do the whole job of like so if i save this universe i'm not watching that one and therefore they all destroy it like so there's a lot of questions yeah. and a lot of but we don't get into the mechanism of this in any of the other episodes the, no, the, all no, the other so episodes true. are straight narrative and just happening this one is attempting to explain something deeper to us. I, oh, it's so good. Um, but they did give then, us in uh, Guardians, though, that there are multiple Watchers. They did, yeah. There was a bunch of them. Uh, it, yeah, just scene, in the cut yeah. scene. Yeah, yeah talking all... to Stan Lee. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. yeah. Um, so, uh, but he can't stop it. And like a black hole, the universe collapses. And he's trapped in a small, and this is very important, a purple geodesic sphere. Um, like the innate, universal magic that we talked about during one division the stuff that that agatha wields not yeah, the chaos yeah. magic um and 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 she finally disappears and he's alone in this universe and you, we hear him just lamenting no, no, lamenting no, no, lamenting as he shrinks into yep. out of existence yeah roll credits yeah, yeah. Like, wow wow but i think that this episode has so many connotations for what's about to happen and i think that maybe all the what-ifs do but Especially with with explaining the mechanics of this this what ifness, of this multiverseness, the differences between timelines, nexus points, yeah, like all that little fiddly stuff that's tucked in this episode, I think are huge. And after doing this kind of deconstruction on the episode, I'm doubling down on the fact that that's Doc Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange in the multiverse of madness, and and although we might get our other Doctor Strange. The idea of uh, of absolute points really uh, it it brings up an interesting question because with the worst kept secret in Marvel history going into Spider Man, right? How many of those uh, uh, instances uh, from the three iterations of uh, of Hollywood Spider Man are going to be absolute, and how many of those points are we going to get revisit? I'm curious to see, see what I, that's going to look like. I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but I've been thinking about that all wrong. And I've been telling people lately that maybe we're thinking about it wrong. And just because we want something really, really cool to happen. But the title of the, the, no the title way of the movie, home. 
no way home. So it's Toby, it's a uh, it, universes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coming to us, Tom Holland's I displaced. Like Tom Holland is going to the Tobey Maguire universe. That's entirely possible, the, and I, I, I think, think that's, that's more probably a better interpretation of a very blunt statement in the title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you're going to get aspects of a little bit of everything, probably. But I think that when you yeah. look at that trailer and you see that, like, it looks like him and Doctor Strange are fighting. Sometimes they're working together, but there's scenes where he's wielding magic. Yeah. And it's, you know, and it's he's trying to encase Peter and some, some stuff there. Um, the cape is very similar. It's not the red cape from the... Uh, from the, the first movie it's much more similar to the dark cape here that he stole off the insect um and i think in a, in sort of a larger thing i think you might find that some of these what if characters or yep. their iterations up, up here in future mcu properties in terms of live action so we might get a, a version of party Thor. yeah yeah and maybe. especially if things are super popular yeah you know what yeah, I mean? yeah 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 they might double down on things like that um i know i've already seen scenes in the trailers with this version of Doctor Strange in a scene with Party Thor. Oh. And I, I haven't rewatched that Thor episode yet because I got distracted by visions. Yep. But I didn't notice if that was in that scene because that that episode is actually so full of cameos. I my head was on a pivot. Yeah, like, it's wah, a wah, 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 it's wah. a smorgasbord of like who's who Everybody. in the zoo. Yeah, and, yeah. And when and actually I just got a spoiler, Jeff Goldblum's voice, and I was like, <laughs> whoa, the hell, what did they pay for yeah. that? Wow. So uh hey, I, I queued up almost an hour that's me that's good man that's me fellas great primer though uh like you say what a great primer episode to maybe revisit before you go off and see spider-man no way home and of course yeah. doctor and strange think, and the multiverse i think Atlas. the mechanics i think the mechanic can't say that enough the mechanics of what's going on here are big important things for the future at least the, you know the next five yeah years, yeah, yeah, yeah years of the mcu right 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 man use these now go ahead so we're uh, we're gonna launch into the next one, I guess, and that I mean, right on the heels of you know the darkest episode yet, we have what could have been possibly even darker if not for the uh, infusion of of uh, of humor, uh, and it's uh, what if zombies, Andy? That's over to you, sir. It is to me. Uh, so the concept of the Marvel zombies is not a new one. Uh, it was introduced during Mark Miller's run on the Ultimate Fantastic Four. And Marvel liked the idea so much, they asked, you know, for spinoffs. And that led to a five-issue miniseries in 2005, written by Robert Kirkman. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, yeah that guy, Walking Dead. Yep, and illustrated by Sean Phillips, and Go this figure. would bring the concept of Earth 2149 to life. Yeah. So, uh, and then they just parodied the snot out of some covers, but... Uh, <laughs> So we get uh, your classic Spidey swing in there. And, yeah, yeah. But all zombified. Spider zombie. Uh, in this series, though, an unknown superhero from another dimension crash lands and infects the Avengers, X-Men, and Fantastic Four. Uh, there will be multiple sequels to this one, with the franchise continuing up to 2015 with a Secret War tie-in. Really? Yeah. It really ran that long? It did. Like, they went through and like it wasn't just a continuous one it was little multi yeah, yeah mini series yeah. but uh kept going but that brings us to episode five of uh what if and they ask the question what if zombies yeah yeah not <laughs> not, not what if zombies did something just zombies just what, what, if zombies? what if zombies <laughs> yeah. which is a question on a lot of people's minds yeah good enough for me man so uh this one is directed by matthew chauncey written by brian andrews 
and it picks up the moment the Hulk is transported across space by Heimdall in yeah, the opening yeah, yeah, yeah. scene of Endgame. But when he arrives in the Sanctum Sanctorum, he finds New York is empty and wonders if he's too late. But uh, Ebony Maw and Cull Obsidian, they arrive just as before, and they yeah. start, you know, laying down the hear me, children of Thanos, and a portal opens up quickly behind him, and a little iron gauntlet comes out and pops yeah, in the back of the right. head. Yeah, yeah. And then a couple more portals open up, and there's a little dust up, and a Banner, who can't Hulk out as he did in the movie. Right. Uh, he's like, oh, you guys are screwed now. Right. And, uh, but the dust is going, and he hears, like, flesh ripping and everything. And yeah, yeah, He's yeah. like, oh, maybe that's a bit of overkill. <laughs> so they're already starting to lean into the comedy bits. But uh, as the dust settles, we see that uh, it's Doctor Strange, Wong, and zombie Iron Man. Oh, wow. So uh, our first taste of the zombies this episode. They quickly turn their attention on Bruce, but before they can devour him, uh, the Cloak of Levitation comes in and saves him. Right. And soon the uh, the zombies there are overtaken by a swarm of insects, and turns out that it's the wasp leading the charge. And uh, with only Iron Man remaining of the five of them, she uh, quickly, you know, offs the head. Because that is a uh, trope that, in zombie is, movies. Yeah, go for the head. Yeah, there's a <laughs> lot of those in this episode. Uh, headshot. Sever yeah. the cerebral cortex. Yep. Double tap. But uh, just as Hope tells Bruce to go with the giant ants, and he's like, you know, giant ants, really? That's safe? Uh, Spider-Man swings in and carries him off. And the Watcher gives us the lowdown of how this uh, all took place. And that two weeks prior, when, I guess technically in uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp movie, uh, when they go in to rescue Janet, instead of finding her normal, turns out she's contracted a quantum virus. Oh, right, (laughs) right, right. And when they... Yeah. Uh, when they exit the realm, it takes only 24 hours for the virus to spread across the Pacific Northwest. So, but just for a second, though, like, these are what-ifs. So, I mean, if the fact that they've even suggested that that was even a possibility, you can't rule it out for future live-action uh, uh, story beats. Like, no. something like that could happen. Maybe not on the scale that we see in this episode, but... Well, when you're in the quantum ver- quantum realm, like, there's, like what could be construed as virus looking creatures floating yeah, around yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah. So there are strong rumors that they've they've already greenlit a live action. Uh, so I heard something about this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whether it's gonna be a series or or a film or hmm. the watcher goes on to tell us that it was the Avengers who uh sealed the fate of the earth because once they became infected, nobody else stood a chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless they know the rules. Unless and, they know the oh yeah the zombie rules yeah, yeah, yeah which yeah, is yeah. a clear nod to zombie land <laughs> yeah. Um, cardio <laughs> yeah cardio double tap yes uh, and who better to narrate that oh, come on I know <laughs> but we get a little cutscene with uh, Spider Man showing Bruce Banner the uh, what's what's the word here orientation video orientation there we go. the orientation right, video yeah so. Right. Uh, he shows him that, and it shows him you a few of the rules. And I love this part here because it's a clear nod to another, maybe not exactly zombie, but definitely Marvel tied. Yeah. Uh, the Mutant Enemy Production Group, which is Joss Whedon's. Nice. Oh, really? Nice, yeah. nice, yeah. nice. So you'll remember this little guy at the end of every episode of Buffy. But, oh, okay. Uh, Grr, arg. 
cool. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. See, I never would have pulled that out. Like, I just wasn't That's a Buffy beautiful. fan, so that oh, was lost I on love me. Buffy. Sure. Yeah. Uh, after Banner sees the orientation video, he finds we find out that uh, Happy Hogan, Bucky Barnes, Kurt from XCon, Sharon Carter, and Okoye <laughs> are some of the last heroes left in New York. And they're all holed up in a series of streetcars that have been webbed together kind of like a space station. Yeah, yeah. So we get to see that floating there. Um, Okoye goes on to inform them that another survivor camp has made a possible breakthrough for the cure, but their beacon was corrupted so they don't know where to find them. Yeah. So they're pulling up the uh, the broken signal, and because Banner is now with them, he figures it out pretty quick. And... Once they get that figured out, Sharon Carter recognizes it as Camp Lehigh from New Jersey. Yeah. Which is S.H.I.E.L.D.'s first base of operations, as well as where Captain America, you know, jumped on the grenade to prove he was worth it. That's right, yeah. Right, right. So uh, they decide they're going to make their way to Grand Central Station so they can take off to New Jersey. And they're accosted by what we think is a giant zombie. But it turns out they're just using the shrunken PIM yeah, cars yeah, to get there. Yeah, which I thought that was very nice little, little throwback nod. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we get to see a little zombie explosion already. They go to they go to goo pretty quick. These zombies? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, isn't that, you know, I guess it lends itself to animation, I suppose. Yeah, true. Um, once at the station, though, uh, Okoye suggests that they split up and get more done quicker. And Parker's like, you know... Don't you watch horror movies in Wakanda? And she burns him here. She replies back, uh, we don't need them. We have American reality shows. Reality TV. (laughs) Boom goes the dynamite. And uh, Kurt's like right on top. He's like, oh, burn. That was solid burn on all of us. But uh, Spidey, Banner, Hope, and Kurt try and jumpstart the train. While Okoye, Bucky, Happy, and Sharon keep watch for zombies. And with a traditional scare moment, Happy's walking down a corridor and a bunch of birds come flying out. Yeah. And uh, uh, it's funny because he's letting off repulsor blasts, but he's going, blam, blam, blam. Oh, as he's doing it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Sharon calls him on it. Are you saying blam? Are you saying blam? Was I? Then we get our second thing and Happy takes an arrow harpoon through the shoulder. And he's dragged off into the darkness in typical horror movie fashion. Yeah, all yeah, the yeah. while, he's still yelling, blam, blam, blam. blam, 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 blam. At least you know he went down fighting. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> but uh, Sharon relays that Happy is down, and we find out that it is Hawkeye who has, of course, launched With the, the big arrow. arrow, yeah, yeah. Trick arrows and whatnot. And uh, he then puts one in Sharon's shoulder and pins her to the wall. And uh, just as this is happening, uh, Zombie Falcon... Decides to fly and crash through the window yeah, yeah. to take on Okoye and Bucky. And then we get this. It's pretty quick. It's a back and forth cut where uh, all three groups are kind of uh, dealing with something. So Sharon's trying to dispatch Happy and Hawkeye before they get him. And uh, Spidey is trying to jumpstart the train using some webbing and a really big pull. Yeah, yeah. Big uh, slingshot start. Yep. <laughs> While uh, Okoye and. Bucky are trying to take down Falcon, and she takes down uh, Falcon pretty mercilessly here with uh, the Wakandan spear. She ends up splitting him yeah, right now. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. pretty grim. It's weird because we get a kind of comedy beat to it because she's like, I know he was your friend. I'm sorry. And Bucky responds with, 
I should be sad, but I'm not. Oh yeah, that whole. So it's kind of their back and forth from the Captain America Falcon. Yeah, it feels a yeah, little more like but, that uh, uh, the buddy cop sort of vibe thing. Yeah, but uh, yeah. lethal weapon. Yeah. You know, yeah. But uh, back in the tunnel, we find that Spider Man. He's like pulled the webs out as far as he can go, and he's got. Uh, what does he say? Something like four thousand pounds of uh, yeah, yeah, like to go draw here. weight or something. Yeah, yeah. So uh, they need to get on the train quick. The complete and, inverse of using webs to stop a train. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. So uh, he's ready to go, but the zombies are starting to close in. And they come up from behind him, you know, ready to bite him in the head. But again, the cloak comes in and saves him. Yeah. So he's still got this on, and the cloak is buying him time by, you know, yeah. fending off zombies. And there's a great scene here where Hope, like, they smash through the window of the train, and she just minimizes and just goes on a killing spree, you know, zombie to zombie, just blasting them out. And they're basically exploding as she goes by. And now is that with her stinger power? I, I assume so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I guess it's not really a power. It's a suit ability, I suppose now. Yeah. But uh, this gives us another humor moment. And, it's, and again, it's from Kurt and he's awestruck. He's like, oh, such a remarkable woman. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, everybody gets on the train. They let loose the brake and uh, the train goes barreling down the track and the cloak gets Spidey aboard just before he gets run over. But uh, the zombies in the tunnel aren't so lucky. Not so lucky. <laughs> and they just, you know. Similar to that RoboCop scene where dude goes, oh my lord, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, the cloak sticks with Spidey, and we get our first action figure moment. Yeah, really. Eh? So uh, he walks in with the cloak on, and Hope tells him it looks good on him. Oh, but, zombie uh, hunter Spidey. Yeah, it's uh, short lived. Yeah, she does say that. It looks pretty good on you. Yeah, and he's like, I don't know, it feels a bit weird, and he's like, Oh, you know, you'll grow into it. Yeah, it does. It harkens back to one of the original what ifs from the. From the eighties, uh, what if Spider-Man was Doctor Strange? Actually, that episode. Hmm. So uh, Okoye tells Spider-Man that you know they should have stayed together. And in another classic horror scenario, Sharon hears creaking on the top of the train, and as something bursts through the ceiling, we cut to Bucky. He hears her screaming and runs to see what happened. Yeah. Only to find uh, that zombie Captain America has come through and he's standing over Sharon's oh, body. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, Bucky delivers a line that kind of flips the other one on its head where, uh, you know, he's like, I can do this all day. But Bucky's like, I think you've had enough, Cap. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah right. And uh, this also gives us our second action figure beat here because uh, the zombie Cap was chosen to be part of that line as well. Mm. But this isn't the first time they've done uh, a zombie Captain America because back in 2007, Diamond selected one for the Marvel Zombies miniseries. Yeah, that's right, yeah. So we got uh, Zombie Colonel America. Oh. There was a bunch of these figures made based on that miniseries, and they came with pieces, base pieces, that when you interlocked them created a big diorama. Yeah. So. Oh, cool. Yeah. Back on the train, Bucky and Cap square off, and Captain America ends up getting cut in half with his own shield, and Bucky does the... Uh, he finally gets to pick up the shield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He gets so, his moment uh, there, yeah. Yeah. And meanwhile, in the background, Hope gets to take out Sharon because she shrinks and flies inside and expands, blowing her up. Yeah. Which is funny because a lot of people on the internet thought something similar should be how Ant-Man defeated Thanos. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. But on a side note, there is an animated short out there now done by a fan 
uh, where it does depict this action, but it takes a twist on that idea as well, because Thanos uses the gauntlet to shrink himself before jumping up Ant-Man's rear, <laughs> and then Thanos expands and, uh, you know... Blows up that, that, snap, that snap is one of those absolute points in time, I believe. It must be. I think so, too. Yeah. But uh, on a sad note, we find out that uh, in battling her, Hope has now Hope, been yeah. exposed to the virus. And uh, she's got, you know, time's running out. But uh, Spider-Man holds on to Hope. And I don't mean literally hope van dyne just no, hope, yeah. as, a, yep. uh, hope as a concept it's the, it's, yeah. and that's it's also a classic zombie trope because everybody who gets scratched or bit thinks exactly. oh no i'm special <laughs> this won't affect me or maybe i'm the one person just that hold get, on you know hold every, on a little every person longer. Yeah. just has that crazy <laughs> amount of denial before succumbing and, and eating the rest of the trap yeah but she holds no uh no ifs ands or buts about it she knows her time's limited so yeah uh, yeah more bad news comes out. The train has run out of fuel and they still have a little ways to go. And we get uh, another horror movie trope, something like right out of Land of the Dead, where you get the entire field of zombies and like, you know, it's going to be impossible to get across. But uh, Hope decides since her time is running out, she's ready to make the sacrifice play as mm-hmm. she feels that it's her fault for not considering what might have come back with her mother. And with time running short, she thinks she can at least do this. So yeah, as battle of uh, Wakanda vibes too from it. A little bit, yeah. But uh, as the sun sets, hope goes giant, and I have to admit, I did not see that coming. Yeah, because normally it's him that does it. That's right. So yeah, she goes giant and kicks him across, and but as she's crossing, though, the zombies are uh, slowly, like slowly, making their way up her legs. And yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> more than she can handle and she manages to set them down inside the compound and stands up takes a step back and uh she tells peter you know smile for me right because i can't yeah yeah and uh they finally made it up to her faceplate and they end up smashing through her helmet and she finally succumbs to them on the plus side though when she goes down she flattens quite a few (laughs) she does she leaves a mark splat so uh Hope falls, and the heroes notice that none of the zombies are trying to climb over the fence. And as they look further, they find out there's gaps in the perimeter, so they don't even have to. Yeah, no, they can just walk right so in. So something is holding them at bay. And Kurt remarks that Baba Yaga is near. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Which Banner questions who, and he tells him she is a witch that lurks in the shadows of sacred burial grounds. I keep looking for John Wick to jump <laughs> it's out It's a legacy somewhere. line from the second Ant-Man <laughs> uh, movie. Yeah, yeah, Baba Yaga. <laughs> but, uh, Baba Yaga. But uh, that description of Baba Yaga is a little bit off because the tale of Baba Yaga originates from Slavic folklore, and it varies greatly across the tales, with her sometimes being a child-eating monster or the worst witch in all of Russia, to others where she's actually helping the protagonist of the story. Well, I mean, one of those is rather on the nose. It is. (laughs) Uh, Right. And though commonly she is thought to live in a hut that stands on chicken legs, she's been referenced in a lot of stuff. Yes. And even made an appearance on Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated. Oh. There's a magical item uh, in the uh, second edition D&D. I don't know if it made it into subsequent editions, but it's a magical item, Baba Yaga's hut. Hmm. It's actually. Oh. Neat. But, uh, the witch part of the tale is some nice foreshadowing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, 
we get two jump scares in a row. First, when Spidey startles Kurt, and then when mm-hmm. Vision startles them all. Oh my god, yeah. So, again, more jump scares, and we get some exposition to find out that the Mind Stone is the thing that's keeping all the zombies at bay. And it's been Vision who's been trying to work on a cure, and he's experimented with direct exposure to the Mind Stone to reverse the virus. And when they ask him, well, did it work? Uh, <laughs> we get Scott Lang in a jar. Uh, and all I can Futurama think of, style. Yeah, Futurama. Yes. yes. <laughs> so good. But uh, Ed, just like Futurama, he's cracking jokes in that jar, too. I was waiting for Nixon Fantastic. to turn up. <laughs> yes. But they're like, oh, you know, it worked. Great. Let's let's do this. Let's broadcast everything. And uh, Vision tells them we don't have the stuff we need here. But Okoye is like, no, we got it in Wakanda. So all we got to do is get there. Get to Wakanda. Yeah. So Bucky goes off to search for transport. But Vision, he's like very ominously, you won't find what you're looking for. Right. And then we get more horror movie Oddly vibes. enough, does nothing to stop him, though. No, no. No. So Not uh, even not even the horror movie trope, don't go in there. Yeah, pretty much, eh? <laughs> but we get more horror film vibes as all the rooms he searched look like something out of Resident Evil or Silent uh, yeah, Hill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he finds one zombie caged up and lets off a couple rounds, but... Uh, from behind a curtain, we find a weakened T'Challa call out, and he's like, don't anger her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we find out that uh, T'Challa's leg has been removed, and he tells Bucky, we have to run now. But uh, turns out that bullet did put a crack in the zombie casing. Yeah. And uh, we're still not 100% sure who this is, but we're getting an idea. The color palette may have something to do with that. It, it might, yes. <laughs> we um, do. We find uh, Spidey and Bruce, they make a discovery that they aren't the first survivors to make it here. And when they find that, it was the Vision who's been taking people, and he's trying to satisfy Wanda's hunger. Yeah, I'm just going to feed them to you one leg at a time. Yep. Uh, That's he straight reveals, out of Walking Dead as well. Yeah, really. Uh, he reveals that her powers are too great, and she resisted the Mind Stone, but he couldn't bring himself to kill her. And all the commotion has woken her, and Vision remarks that she hasn't eaten in days. And again, Scott is still cracking up dad jokes as the heroes try to subdue her. And uh, we get Spidey webbing her up, but it's too no good. Yeah, Zombie Wanda is uh, pretty horrific, by the way. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Very Dark Phoenix vibes. Uh, Yeah, I see it. I totally see it, yeah. But uh, in the commotion, just as Scott's head is knocked off the chair... This episode's MVP, the Cloak of Levitation, makes another save. Yeah. And this one, it's not official, but it's already been kitbashed on the uh, action figure customizing circuit. Oh, really? So we get... Uh, <laughs> oh, that's dope. We get <laughs> Ant-Man great. with the cloak. Oh, that's, that's hilarious. Uh, these ones here were done by John Groothus and yeah, yeah, yeah. Alex Lexi, respectively. So uh, a pretty easy kitbash to put yeah, together, yeah. but it's a good looking figure. Awesome. Banner tells the vision that they need to get out, so he comes to his senses and he helps him escape, but not before Okoye is taken by Wanda. And Vision directs them to a Quinjet in the hangar, and but he elects to stay behind and atone for his sins. Right. At which point he rips the Mind Stone out of his own head. Yeah, that, that was really kind of like grim. I'm like, that's right out of uh, out of um, Infinity War. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I'm like, God, I don't know how he did it. I guess being a machine and 
it just goes, it, it, it was kind of mind uh, uh, bending for me because his, his love for Wanda, which is very much a, a human trade, an emotional trade, just is counterintuitive to the idea of ripping a piece of your body off, mm-hmm. you know? But I guess they need the Mind Stone to make it No, work, you're right, so. you're right. And um, maybe that removes his love for her so that he can, you know, <laughs> I, so maybe? that what can be done can be done. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We get a similar effect to the one we saw in Infinity War when Wanda destroyed the zone as this big, you know, energy cloud goes off. And Bucky, again, decides he's going to slow Wanda down. So he stays behind and starts opening fire. But he has little success, and as he is dispatched, Wanda then goes after Banner, and the Hulk comes out really briefly to stop the bite. I just, it was a, fly, a blink and you miss it moment where he just gets he, enough green where the, his the, skin the, goes, the skin can't be yeah. penetrated. Yeah. But I really uh, dug that, actually. He tells uh, yeah. T'Challa and Peter, you know, I, I think I can do this. Yeah. And he takes, you know, the sacrifice dive, and he runs into the middle of the crowd, and, um, you know, come on, Hulk, we got to be the one to save him. We can be the hero. And he does. He hulks up and ends up just firing zombies everywhere. And then mm-hmm. we get uh, Hulk versus Wanda in a SmackDown. And uh, that's not a that's not a pairing or a matchup that I ever envisioned before seeing this. No, they're but, both uh, Omega level characters in different ways. Yeah. 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 But uh, he manages to hold his own against her. So. And in him doing this, T'Challa, Spidey, and Scott Najar managed to make their escape from the hangar with the Mind Stone. And uh, Scott declares, we did it! But Spidey's quick, like, don't jinx it, don't you watch horror movies? Which he did jinx it. And now the zombified giant Hope Van Dyne oh rises my gosh, up yeah, yeah. and uh, grabs the ship. She doesn't manage to hold on too long and ends up losing her grasp. And uh, as they're flying off, both Scott and Parker they kind of lament her loss and you know, she was a great lady and all that. Yeah. 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 But, uh, the morning approaches and they're almost to Wakanda and Scott is still cracking jokes and Peter's gone all, you know, introspective and he questions why he's still here when the Avengers are all gone. And this moment here again, how could they know? But it's like a heart wrenching moment to Chala tells him death is not the end. They are still with us <laughs> as long as we do not forget them. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, indicative of his uh, his jaunt across the ancestral plane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, they're flying into Wakanda, we, and we're we think we're ending on a note of hope because yeah, they've got yeah, the yeah, mind yeah. stone. They're almost there, but then we find uh, a zombified Thanos with five of the six stones, and we cut to black. Yeah, yeah. So uh, things do not bode well for this universe Madness. at all. No, no, no. Madness. Madness. That's the first uh, <laughs> big surprise ending that uh, they do like that. Mm-hmm. Oh man, uh, yeah. Madness. So the, the zombie episode. So here, I want to talk about the um, the level of awareness with these characters, and I'm I mean self awareness. Like I mean, yeah. I'm not, I'm not a big zombie. I'm not a horror movie fan by any means. But like you know, when I think of zombie tropes, I don't think, except for that whole, the I am legend, 
uh, and that new one that uh, Batista just did where there there is a level of, of like awareness with some of the zombies I typically associate them as like you know the shambling right well, this harkens back to the miniseries because in that version the zombies actually retain their intellect they and do. their instincts oh so they're just flesh hungry yeah they just interesting so much more yeah so much more terrifying if these they're like thinking, feeling. Well, this zombies, is the thing, right? Yeah. And that, that was my big everybody question. Everybody wants the zombie apocalypse where you have the shambling hordes. Yeah, that we yeah, yeah. Cut, we can spend our days. We can spend you know, all day throwing zombie. records at them. I can't, <laughs> I can't wait to cut loose to tell you the truth. But, but uh, yeah, when, as soon as you get the, 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 when they can run or when one of the can... most terrifying versions of a zombie movie I've ever seen or when uh, animals were being like succumbing to the virus. You had zombie crows. If you think about that for a second, uh, a billion teenagers that could fly and peck your eyes out. No, yeah. Uh, with zombie powers, yeah. Uh, that's just that. That type of zombie stuff is terrifying. Uh, the Walking Dead even went so far in the comics as to make a, a sentient zombie leader who oh, can speak really? and think and yeah, and, yeah. Because yeah. they're trying to amplify the terror. Like I mean, yeah. There's only so much. Mm, we see that, that as I was saying. But the and... thought of uh, a zombie Iron Man that can wield the armor is. Is horrifying. Well, it, <laughs> that's horrifying. what I mean. Yeah. yeah, we've seen it a couple times. Like again, like I am Legend had that that love connection between the the the, the male and the female, and then the Netflix movie that just came out with uh, with Batista kind of oh, posited yeah. that zombies may actually be the next step of human evolution. evolution. Like, yeah, yeah. So what's, really what's interesting that one stuff. Through Barrymore on Netflix too. Oh, where she's uh, a zombie and the, her, the and, Santa uh, Clarita diet. Right, and Timothy yeah. Oliphant is they they become serial killers of yeah, yeah, horrible yeah. people and just feed her that. <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's a neat twist. It's not very yeah. much. Yeah, yeah. All right, so where are we at now? We are back. That brings us to the uh, third of three, or shall we say uh, six of nine? Episode six. <laughs> Episode six of nine, and that is back to me. So what are we going to do? We are going to talk about what if Killmonger rescued Tony Stark? Mr. Love it. Mr. Murder Machine himself here. So uh, the basic premise of this one is uh, Tony Stark, uh, while visiting Afghanistan, uh, goes through the same ordeal that he does uh, in the Humvee. You know, hey, no gang signs. No, seriously, throw it up there. Take some pictures. We get shot at. Hey, give me a gun. Outside he goes. Humvee. Yeah, stay in the Humvee. Gets outside, wanders around, gets blown, kind of disoriented. And then uh, the bomb drops and he's staring at the bomb thinking that uh, the end is nigh. Except it's not because we get uh, an interjection from Eric Killmonger who quickly snatches up the bomb and tosses it off and it, it blows up in the sort of in the ether. So uh, because the bomb uh, never goes off and Tony is never injured, uh, he's never taken prisoner by the Ten Rings. He never becomes Iron Man. And because, yeah, and so without any Iron Man... There's a lot going on here. And again, this kind of comes through that whole watching it again through the review eyes. There's a few things that goes on here. Like, one, Tony just continues on the path that he was already on. So, you know, weapons developer, you know, not when he goes back to the States and he's they're having the press conference about what happened. He's like, you know, our weapons were killing our soldiers. And then it's like, so what are we going to do now? We're going to do it bigger, better and better than anybody else. Oh, wow. Right. So we just doubled down on the thing that. You know, the, the very thing that propelled him to be Iron Man was now flipped on its ear and it's just making him a bigger, badder arms dealer. But there's a little more, uh, there's a little more subtlety here. And as I thought about it, as we go through the episode, because 
even though the the episode kind of takes place in that 2008 time frame, the the Iron Man one time frame, there's a few elements from other films and other properties that kind of permeate into the episode. And and the one thing that I kind of want to bring to your attention is that Tony Stark never gets an opportunity to deal with his alcoholism in this episode. And I think that is it's significant because it makes him a more reckless character in terms of uh, decision-making. And we're going to get to that, uh, why I think that is. But ultimately, it's up to you guys to, to come to that conclusion for yourselves. But that's what I think. So we get back to the States, and right off the hop, uh, Tony decides that he's going to appoint uh, Eric Killmonger as his uh, head of security over Happy Hogan, who's a little bit put out because that's supposed to be my promotion. And of course, the first thing he does uh, is immediately exposes uh, Obadiah Stane as the, uh, the 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 brains and the financial backing to the Ten Rings um, in what they were doing in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. So, right off the hop, uh, Eric has established himself as a, as a player, and uh, they arrest Obadiah Stane sort of on the spot. And, uh, yeah. One of my favorite moments from every episode, actually, is yep. Happy gets his moment here, and he gets to punch. He does, yeah. He dies staying out. Yeah. And uh, I was like, that's Happy's hero moment. That's my favorite timeline. Cleans his, <laughs> cleans his clock right there. Yeah, <laughs> cleans yeah. his clock. Yeah, he uh, the deserves only, that. I, I don't know if they offered. They say they offered everybody a chance to come back. We did not get Jeff Bridges come back for this, which is no, kind of no. unfortunate, because I like, I like him pretty much in everything he does. Yeah, he's awesome. So quickly, uh, we, in, in a matter of just a few seconds, we go from head of security right to uh, COO of Stark Industries. And uh, that kind of caught me off guard. Like, whoa. Big promotion. Yeah, yeah. And Pepper even says, you're giving him Obadiah's job? And, and Tony's like, yeah. well, yeah. So Pepper being Pepper. And, and Pepper is kind of the, uh, she's the, the silver lining to the episode, I think uh, I can call her that. She yeah, doesn't. Definitely. She doesn't trust him. So she goes to Rhodey, good old Rhodey, who's uh, as reliable as ever. Don Cheadle, welcome back. And uh, he goes through his resume with her, and and he's like, "What's your concerns?" And she's like, "Because he's you know, other than the killing part, which he was trained to do, this kid's got a pretty good you know squeaky clean resume." And uh, you know, she says, "Well, that's kind of her problem with it is that it's maybe a little too clean." Mm. Meanwhile, this is another thing. Talking about this whole uh, like elements of other uh, MCU properties kind of waking, making their way in here. We learn that Killmonger uh, in graduate school was actually working on a, on a drone, and uh, so this, you know, in a roundabout way, the Killmonger character supplants the Justin Hammer character. You know, with the right. idea. The only difference is now they're not competitors; now they're partners. And so um, he says he sort could of double down on the random sort of character comment about Killmonger from Black Panther. And that's there's a section of the movie where they're just talking about his, you know, how how what a good soldier he was and what, yeah. what he had done and that he was an MIT graduate. And they sort of just pull that thread here. Yeah, exactly. Like the, right. they never really touched on that in the Black Panther, that he was this highly educated guy, because all we saw was soldier guy. Right. Well, they do. They do actually reference his MIT graduation. Yeah. 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 So he says that um, he was developing this combat drone called the Liberator. You know, haha, the Liberator. 
which yeah, is kind of yeah. funny when you think about the later on in the episode when he talks about why wear the uniform of your oppressor. Right. But uh, he says he couldn't, he could not figure out the interface. And so Tony, naturally, as a thank you for saving his life, says, let's help build your science project. And uh, comes up with the idea that they're going to use Jarvis as the operating system. And it's like all, a mobile Gundam. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they make that line about, you know, we, we'll have the world's most expensive Gundam model. Wicked. <laughs> He's like, what? I like anime. Yeah, exactly. So um, after a failed test of the Liberator, uh, they've decided that it's the power source that's the problem. And they need a new one, a better one. And uh, in a throwaway line, Tony dismisses the idea of miniaturizing an arc reactor, which he had, had been working on up until this point. No, no, mm-hmm. that won't do. But it's Killmonger who says, Vibranium. And uh, he produces a vibranium ring that he's wearing around his neck. Of course, it's the ring given to him by his father. And uh, he says that if it's infused with enough juice, vibranium could act as a self-sustaining power source. Presumably that is sort of the crux of Wakandan technology and why it's a super science, right? Yeah. All right. Which leads Tony to make one of the worst decisions he's ever made on screen. And that is to go and buy a large quantity of vibranium from the black market from Ulysses Claw. Nice to see Andy Serkis come back uh, as Ulysses Claw. Of course, uh, Stark Industries can't be seen uh, making this uh, deal, so they do it under the guise of the United States uh, of the United States government, and they send in Rhodey uh, to make the deal. So uh, during the whole exchange, uh, Rhodey's there trying to make the deal with with Claw. They have a little. He produces the the Dora Milaje spear. Tells him you know how much it cost ten million. And uh, Rhodey's like, yeah, Tony spends, you know, $10 million in Vegas. And he's like, okay, good. We'll get right to the, to the big stuff. Right. But that whole thing is interrupted when uh, T'Challa shows up, uh, just like he did. You know, that we know in the regular continuity that mm-hmm. they, were, they were tracking Claw for stealing the vibranium in the first place, and they wanted right. it back. So are we now, four years later, are we in the 2012s now? Well, this is just, it. I just, don't... Just before... The Avengers, right? I don't know how long they've spent developing. It's kind of, you know, it's very ambiguous how long they've taken to develop the Liberator drone and how long they've been working at this and how right. long they've taken to set up this deal. The pacing of the episode suggests that it's just like this boop, 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 boop. Like there's no. Yeah. Almost you would like assume that no... this is after Civil War and that T'Chaka has been killed by Zemo. You, uh, I would place this more like Age of Ultron, where they're going after and finally making that deal with Claw in the desert. That's oh, kind of what I thought. I it's a little bit yeah. earlier than that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. So when the Black Panther shows up, naturally that triggers Claw's goons, and they there's a battle, and um, you know in the battle we get the reveal that surprise everybody, Eric Killmonger is the villain that you thought he was. Um, and I'm going to go so far as to say that he's essentially the exact same character we saw in the Black Panther. His motivations are pretty much the same. We'll get to that, yeah. how, we, how we get there. But And it's the getting there that's really different yeah. in, in this episode. Different road to the same destination. And, and I'm going to say that's probably why on my initial watch through, I was like, what? You're just telling me the same story with different beats? Like, I don't know if I really like that 
Turns out I did like it, but it took me a second time around to really kind of find the the sweet spot in this one. So, uh, during the battle, um, Killmonger actually kills, like outrightly kills T'Challa using this like sonic weapon, which kind of harkens back to the, the scene underneath, I don't even know what the name of the city is, in Wakanda, uh, the railroad tracks and the, uh, the vibranium whatever they were, the, the, right. the resonance the thing for the, yeah, the thing for the train tracks, how it kind of right, messed, right. it messed with their, their suits and their powers. So the, it's clearly based on that technology and it outrightly just, it kills, uh, Chadwick's character. So he's not having a good episode, a uh, good show. <laughs> well, here's the thing. So like, I, you know, we talked about it, uh, in our first episode about how tragic the loss of, of, uh, Chadwick Boseman was. And every time I see him in one of these episodes now, and you see him in these situations where like he just had his leg torn off, he's dying in this episode. And it's just like, this is like, it was so emotional watching it, knowing that, uh, you know, not knowing that he was dying at the time that they made this. And it's like, oh, if they had known, do you think they would have written these episodes differently? Or is it even possible that they're they're using specific and i and not in any negative way but specific lines of dialogue and sort of reconstructed them to actually pull our heartstrings like that on purpose you know what like, it very much could be it could be and it's it's not negative to me i like feeling those feelings like a, what a great actor and what a what a tragic loss but i i don't mind feeling those feelings like i, yeah, I like to yeah, I, yeah. I like you know i like to watch his body of work i, I i'm going to go back and watch some of his other films that i'd never bothered with before for sure so what was the what was the catalyst in the main narrative that got the Wakandans all riled up? Was it uh, was the killing of King T'Chaka? I believe um, so. Who yeah. they 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 made it look like that Bucky had that done Bucky it. had done it. That's so right. we get a similar beat here with the death of T'Challa, where Killmonger plants the uh, the vibr uh, the the vibration weapon on Rhodey, but not before. You know, they have a, a moment where it's like, what are you doing? And uh, this is where, you know, Rhodey's like, you've got to be in the system to change the system. And then you get that line of why wear the, the uniform of your oppressor. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, as again, Mr. Mr. Murder Machine kills another one, uh, taking out Rhodey and uh, plant, frames the whole uh, scene on him. And we get that classic you know, uh, Claw and Killmonger were in on it together the whole the whole time, just like they were in uh, in the Black Panther. Right. But then Tony being the, the genius that he is, we go back to the United States and, uh, you know, tosses the spear at him. And, you know, they they have some uh, uh, some dialogue about, you know, did you think I wasn't going to find out? And, and then there's this whole element of Jarvis sees all. And uh, Tony is really, really mad as he clink, 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 sucks back on whatever it is that he's drinking. And, uh, you know, this is where that recklessness comes through. And he's like, I did it. He's like, you're right. Vibranium was the way to go. I melted down that ring. And so Tony essentially wants to, is going to use the Liberator drone to stop, uh, to stop Killmonger for, uh, or to take revenge almost, I think, for the death of, uh, of Rhodey and for, uh, you know, pinning him. That's the other line is that uh, it's all over the news that it's Tony Stark that had, had done this, had set up this deal for the, with the black market. 
But, you know, Eric being Eric uh, is able to use the the Dora Milaje spear and he's actually able to uh, not only stop the drone, but, uh, you know, Captain Murder uh, does it again (laughs) and pins, uh, you know, pins Tony to the wall like a pinata and uh, ends up killing Tony Stark. So, yeah. Of course, uh, now we get on, we we get this whole thing with General Ross, and I like the fact that General Ross is involved in this because he's you know he's an under I think he's an underutilized character. Loved him in in uh, in Incredible Hulk. Yeah, not so in the Incredible Hulk. He was much more like the uh, the hot headed, pardon my language, but the hot headed asshole that you expect him to be, and so you get this like continuation of that in this episode where Ross interprets the whole scene um, with um, Killmonger and Claw as a uh, Wakandan hit job, probably in retaliation for the death of T'Challa. So using the United States Patriot Act, Ross seizes control of Stark Industries and orders uh, Pepper to put the Liberator drones into production, sending the United States into a full-on war uh, with Wakanda. So we get this whole like uh, load up the drones. We're gonna fly over, uh, fly over to um, Africa. So, but Eric uh, decides he's gonna make a little detour, and he stops to uh, pick up Claw, who's going to uh, escort him right up to the uh, Wakandan border shield, pretty much like he does in the uh, in the movie. It t- tells him where Wakanda is, and uh, because it's the exact place that Eric wants to be. Claw has now outlived his usefulness and is promptly executed. <laughs> I don't know what the body count is yet. Have anybody count, uh, keeping track here? <laughs> no, but it's fine. <laughs> uh, uh, Rhodey, uh, Claw, Tony, uh, Black Panther. Black Panther, where like four main characters are dead now from this guy. <laughs> so, uh, and because, yeah, so here we go. Then we get this like right out of the Black Panther where uh, the Dora Milaje are standing there waiting as he walks through, you know, walks into Wakanda, you know, and I, I bring a gift with claw over his shoulder. He delivers, uh, delivers him to the Dora Milaje and he reveals that he is in fact a Wakandan, you know, with the, uh, you know, I am, uh, yeah, I am uh, Njadaka, son of Njobu. And so they don't know what to do with him. But anyway, they take him. Obviously, they take him to the king and the queen, and we get this moment where, and of course, who's right there beacon off right right from the start? Shuri. She's like, I essentially, I don't trust this guy. He's still an American soldier. And it's King T'Chaka, completely unaware that, you know, you were, you were, face, you were staring down the murderer of your son, embraces him as family. And he accepts him and, and welcomes him as a, as a Wakandan. And so then the country now prepares to go to war because they know that, you know, he, under, you know, Killmonger says they're coming. And uh, we learn, which I think is really cool. This is actually one of the, the coolest things that uh, Queen, uh, Queen Ramonda and not Okoye is the, uh, the head of the Dora Milaje in this one. Right. And that's yeah. really, really awesome because... Suggesting that maybe she's just retired by the time we get to maybe, her character. Maybe, maybe, right? but no, she's yeah, the queen and the general at the same time. Yeah, awesome. It's very awesome. Yeah. And it's and it's Angela Bassett, and oh my god, she's just <clears throat> amazing. So yeah, this is a well deserved uh, infusion of action for her character. That you know, we got to see her 
how good of a mother she was in the Black Panther, but we never got to see this this side of her, which I think is one of the most compelling aspects of this whole episode. Yeah, we only got hints of it in Black Panther where, yeah. you know, she goes to uh, the mountain tribe looking for yeah. help. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, she's still portrayed as not able. She's not portrayed as a warrior. No. No, not at all. And she's not looked at as a warrior. No. Um, but we get a whole new appreciation for that here yes. coming up shortly. So with the Liberator drones marching on uh, the Wakandan shield, Killmonger has a plan that is to allow the drones to come past the shield. And that way, once all the drones are inside, they can reactivate the shield and that will effectively cut the hive. Because they say that these drones, they run under uh, like a hive intelligence, which is ultimately controlled by Jarvis. So if they can cut the drones off from Jarvis, then we will have won the day. And so, you know, as the plan unfurls, they actually, uh, they do. They, uh, they all kind of walk through the shield. And then, of course, we get the big reveal moment that, you know, because the Americans are like, are you sure this is the right place? And they're like, the drones are where they're supposed to be. And then they see the, the sort of the, the piercing of the veil, as it were. And as soon as they're in and the shield goes back up, Ross is cut off. And they're like, what, what the hell's going on? And uh, yeah, so the plan is successful. But this is all part of the ruse that's been orchestrated by Killmonger to get closer to the Wakandan throne. So back in the U.S. Control Center, uh, General Ross loses contact with the drones and is left staring at a blank monitor. Meanwhile, Eric, he produces uh, essentially what I call the key fob. Uh, like he's, gonna, <laughs> he's got to unlock the door, like unlock the car. <laughs> yep, pops the key fob out and... Uh, wakes the drones up again and uh, it's full on battle at this point. And I got to point out here because I didn't quite catch it on the first time around. Maybe it's because there was such a gap between the first watch and the second watch. I actually thought that the key fob was instrumental in winning the battle. Like at one point, yeah, he woke them up, but I, I thought that he had actually, I thought that was sort of the, uh, the ringer, if you will, that to guarantee that they were going to win the battle, but he doesn't. He wakes them up, and it is a legitimate battle. And he joins the Wakandans as a Wakandan in the fight against these Liberator drones. And then we get the most emotionally charged moment of the entire episode. Um, we have this big, like, uh, Killmonger mounts up one of the rhinos, does the big charge, and then Okoye and the Dormilaje are going at it, and the, the monkey tribe are going at it. And he sees a spot where, like, uh, Ramonda is going to get hit. And so he intervenes in that. And then she slams a spear between two of these drones. And I, I'm, oh, I'm getting emotional <laughs> thinking about it. She, uh, she grabs her spear and she, she tears it out of the two drones and she just screams for T'Challa. And she's crying just like I am now. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, so emotionally charged. Really good scene. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, um, the loss of a of a child, and uh, you know, dealing with that is really uh, it really comes through in this. Yeah. So at that point, with the battle over and the the knowledge that they have won, it really cements uh, Killmonger's loyalty, at least in their eyes, to the Wakandans, and and for that, he's made the new Black Panther. So this is an interesting part here because there's a huge, huge piece here that I, I haven't quite figured it out why 
when a Wakandan is given the the um, oh my god the herb the herb they go to the astral uh, the ancestral not the astral the ancestral plane right they so if you think a back, lot like a hallucinogen they die temporarily yeah so in Black Panther when when uh, Eric takes the the herb and he walks out onto the ancestral plane he's met by his own father that doesn't happen in this episode. And this is why I don't, this is the part that I don't understand is he's actually met by T'Challa and T'Challa tells him that, uh, he warns him that unearned power can be a volatile force and that eventually it will get the best of him. And he punctuates it by saying on his plane or theirs. Right. Like suggesting there'll be some comeuppance when you get here. Yeah. 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 I think maybe that on the ancestral plane, you get the message that you need. You're confronted with whatever aspect of your past you need to have a lesson taught to you about. I couldn't like, quite figure it out if it was unique. You know, T'Challa is, is defiant with all the ancestors. He sees grandfathers and, and other fathers he's never seen before. I assume you know? that they were all ancestors of his. Right. No, I, absolutely. But, yeah. you know, like that he might have remembered, but certainly a couple of generations anyway that he might not have been physically connected to. But that he's defiant because he wants to change the way things have been done in Wakanda for centuries. Yeah, and that's yeah, sort yeah. of like the moment he needs. Um, but perhaps, and and in that other iteration of, of Killmonger, perhaps the the uh, being brought to ground a little, which actually rounds his character out, uh, mm-hmm. is that interaction with his father. Uh, and perhaps in this, it's the lesson that he should really be taking away is that don't <laughs> don't do this because we're waiting for you regardless. One of the other sure. one of the other interpretations I had over the ancestral plane was is you know because it is so specific to the Black Panther is are these ancestors of the individual taking the herb or are these all these people have all been the Black Panther? I would assume it's ancestors of people taking the herb, and because he is technically family, yeah, that's the same tree. Yeah, that's a very good in- interpretation. As opposed to being like blood relatives, like maybe it, it maybe it doesn't always pass father to son. Maybe it's passed, you know, uh, father to brother or father to Cousin. you know, right? That they've yeah. all all these ancestors on the ancestral plane have been the Black Panther at some point. Yeah, and yeah. that's why. And that- that's why I kind of go, why didn't, why didn't Killmonger see his, why did he see his father in the movie versus T'Challa in the episode? Well, that's very true. Cause yeah. Cause his father was never black. Well, this is it, right? Or an aspect of it. So it, it reminds me of something that you say that they're all in a tree. Cause certainly there's panthers. The family in the tree. tree. Yeah. 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 And that's, but so there's the other thing. If they were all an, black panthers, you see the panther in the tree, the panther comes down and it becomes a man. But perhaps the tree is some, uh, like has a larger symbology. Because I started, I have extensive notes on this, but I didn't get into it in my episode. But mm-hmm. in the library of Cagliostro, there's a, a there's a tree with pink cherry blossoms on it, and oh. I was thinking that that might have been indicative of Ictrasil. Oh and yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, universe tree. Perhaps all yeah. the tree, yeah, tree of the world, and perhaps all the trees that we see on these other dimensions, or on astral planes, or in specific special places, are all aspects of this. Yggdrasil or world tree. Right, right, just, right. I mean, you having said that now makes me think that maybe it's on multiple tiers. I guess so. Yeah, yeah. I just found it was this this aspect of the episode left the most room for interpretation. Mm, certainly, yeah. 
boiled down. Basically, T'Challa is telling him, look, you're going to be found out. Yeah, there's going to be a reckoning, whether it's out there or in here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, back in the United States, uh, we have a scene with Ross, and I think it's Happy and Pepper walking down a hallway, and he's like ordering uh, one of the United States fleets into a blocking position just off the coast of Wakanda. And Pepper's like, are you sure this is a good idea? You know, this is a place where most people couldn't even find on a map. And he's like, yeah, well, by tomorrow they won't have to. Mm-hmm. You know, so we're uh, we're about to make the next major, you know, uh, military action against Wakanda. And it sounds, it almost sounds like it's going to be, I don't want to say nuclear, but it kind of, it's suggestive that it's going to be something They're going to be swinging big. the bigger stick. This is what I mean. Like, you could, are you talking about we're going to wipe them off the face of the map here? Because that's, mm-hmm. that's my interpretation of it anyway. Launch yeah. Captain Marvel. <laughs> yeah, really. So leaving that uh, situation, Pepper dips into Tony's uh, old office for a moment of respite, and she closes the door, leans back on the door, and the, uh, the chair spins around, and look, it's uh, Shuri sitting behind the desk. And, uh, yeah, Shuri, uh, you know, being, tells Pepper, you know, Tony, Tony Stark was a genius, but he wasn't the only genius. And, uh, basically <laughs> reveals that, uh, she's deduced that it was Killmonger who, uh, not only killed Tony Stark, but is also responsible for the death of her brother. There's a nice little hole there too. It's like, I would have liked to have seen that discovery of that. Even yeah. though we didn't, I would have, I would have preferred to see it that way. At least it would have made it just a little bit more connective tissue to this scene. But that being said, the two women uh, acknowledge that both sides of the conflict have unwittingly uh, succumbed to a common enemy, even though neither side is willing to see it. And as the episode closes, it's young Shuri who proposes that she and Pepper open their eyes together. Yes. And I know the naysayers are going to say that it's, you know, social justice, you know, woke stuff. And you know what? You're damn right it is. And awesome. why And why shouldn't it be? You're goddamn right. Yes. She is one of the smartest people on the planet. Absolutely. So. I mean, look at the end of Black Panther where she was left to be the, the head of the cultural, the Wakandan Cultural Center. Yeah. It totally so. makes sense that she's the one to, you know, let's, you know, pull the veil back and show the world what's really happening. So you flash forward a year from this scene and you get Shuri as Black Panther. Yeah. And you get you get uh, Pepper in her Iron Man or Iron Woman armor. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Wouldn't that be a, the, the, like just the characters like, I, you know, watching the episode earlier, you're like, oh, since Tony's dead, the hero of the episode is always just low key Pepper. Yeah. Like in the background, she's still trying to do the right thing. She's the noble uh, person she's, she's the, the moral, the, compass. moral compass. Yeah, yeah 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 and so it, it you know um and a lot of a lot of chatter online too is that we're going to see uh maybe even in another season of what if but that we're going to see certain aspects of all these realities coalesce into one reality and get like a what if can we talk about that for a second and i don't want to get because i don't want to get ahead of ourselves but i just want to say i actually made that connection so this episode the killmonger episode I can, before we started recording, I just, I told Andy this, the Thor episode, and I don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it, but the ending of the Thor episode with the, the showing up of that character. Oh yeah. Connects to this episode. And I'll tell you, here's where it, here's how it connects. Uh That initial liberator drone that Killmonger whacked at Tony's house. 
Right. How do we know that that's not the evolution of Jarvis? 100%. Do you know what I mean? Like 100%. So here's where, here's where I firmly believe the MCU is heading. I, I, I'm not, it's not a stretch and there's a, and again, there's a lot of evidence and chatter on the, yeah, universe. yeah, of course, but we're heading towards the 2015 secret wars storyline. Yeah. And in this 2004 or 2005 secret Wars storyline, the universe, uh, the multiverse is ending and it's got nothing to do with Kang or, or the universal war. Right. What's happening is that universes are starting to collide. Yeah. And that in, in the event that happens in 616 and it also happens simultaneously in 1610, which is the ultimate universe. Uh, when two Earths, which are, I talked about in my my breakdown of my episode, when the Earth the Earth is such the singularly uh, important nexus point across all realities, in a specifically a nexus point within the universe itself, yeah, that such that Galactus might attack it, or that the Watcher would step out of his Watcher role to actually intervene. That oh, jeez, I lost myself there. <laughs> I totally lost myself. What We're headed towards the twenty fifteen oh, Secret War. Right, right, right. So. And in that, um, the Reed Richards from the Ultimate Universe, 1610, is as Earths start to collide. So what's happening is when two Earths collide, either one Earth has to be destroyed or the other one or the entire universe that that Earth is contained in gets destroyed. So these multiversal Earths are annihilating one another. And all the Reed Richards sort of figure it out at the same time. And the Reed Richards of 1610 is a different Reed Richards from all the other ones. And there's actually a group of villains called the Cabal and they're made up of yeah. like, like, you know, Thanos and, and uh, I just, it's, it's a Cabal of, and, and, and Professor Xavier and, and, and it's crazy, but Reed Richards is one of them. Doom is one of them. And Reed Richards decides we have to destroy other earths. That's the most logical thing. 7 billion people versus 150 trillion people or beings is not even yeah, yeah, yeah. like ballpark. But of course, our Reed Richard 616 is like, no, we have to, there must be a way to, you know. And so at, in Secret Wars, these two universes collide and the respective Reed Richardses find a way uh, to, uh, with Doom's help, sort of create a new singular universe. Yeah. And that's, that's what Secret War is, is that the Doom, who's now God, Emperor Doom yeah. of Battleworld, has created an earth with its own sort of timeline in its own universe and seeded that earth with all the heroes and villains that he could pluck out of all the different multiverses. And they fight it out. Patchwork. Yeah. Right. And in the end, Reed Richards defeats Doom and takes the remaining heroes. And it's the ones that, you you, you know, there's only very few 616 heroes that are actually Spider-Man's one. Doc Strange is one, but none of the mutants are from 616. Most of the mutants are from the... But then he creates the new Marvel continuity that's that we know now in the comics that that moves forward from that secret war. And I think that's what you're seeing here is the the breaking of the the universe into into multiverses, different iterations of the characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that the the next sort of 10 movies will show you different versions of different characters. And then put and it all back the together. It's like the sort of like the the uh, the entree, or yeah, not the entree, yeah, yeah. but the, the hors d'oeuvre. The, the, uh, the hors d'oeuvre. Yeah. And this is what this is what you're getting, and that we're going to see that storyline play out, where Doom stealing the power from the Beyonder 
picks Wolverine from this universe and Reed Richards from that universe and Thor from this universe and, and, and builds, you know, I, I, I a hundred percent think that's exactly where we're heading for the big, uh, infinity war, the end game of, of, now, uh, do you, phase five or six. I was going to say, we're not, we're not looking at this as a phase four end state, are we? No, God, no, no. We're, I'm talking about five and six, maybe like wow. we, we just went through, uh, what was it? A 15 year plan, right? Yeah. Yeah. A 20, right. 22 film, 22 film, 25, 25, 25 film. film. Yeah. Yeah. 25. Yeah. So, I mean, right. So I'm not talking about a short term plan and in that you're going to get your, your Kangs and your Galactuses and the introduction of yeah. like what a perfect way to not disrupt everything that's gone on and go, Oh, well the mutants just didn't feel like getting involved in infinity. War. Oh yeah. Yeah. What, yeah. What a better way to do it than those, the, that part of that reality was pulled into this one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The fantastic four were pulled out of their reality and put into this one. The, the X-Men were pulled out and now they're all in one reality together. And oh, that's, that's a very creative way to do seven that. Seven moving. Yeah. 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 I'm, I almost, I mean, that's how I do it. <laughs> well, I mean, as soon as you say multiverse, it just makes all of those things possible. For a second there, I'm thinking, God, this sounds an awful lot like, you know, crisis. <laughs> right. Do you know what right. I mean? I, you know, for yeah. those of you who are steeped in DC lore, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and no, and, and that... I mean, everybody that knows that crisis was bred out of, of, of a way of fixing. Yeah, yeah. The crazy, no stupid... Con- yeah, DC yeah. Was, DC was mental in the early days. Yeah, Just mental. Yeah. You had Jimmy Olsen uh, and Super Monkeys, and you had, like... You, I mean, you, there was just so much crazy stuff that they had to start just whittling down characters to pick one. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I was the new 25 or something like that was there their way of dealing with that. Right, 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 forward, right. Oh, the new 52. New 52. Or the new, sorry, the new 52. Yeah. Hey, I, I just, yeah. I got to tell you, as a new, I'm going to defend the new 52 because I hadn't bought comic books for a long time. I had cherry picked, I'd go out and buy, you know, a graphic novel here or there, you sure. know, like a standalone Superman story or something. When I was looking for a way to, to get back into comic books around uh, 2000, Oh, 2007, 2008, the new 52 had just come out. And so I bought in and I read the entire run of the new 52 Justice League. And I very much liked it. It was very good. It started off with uh, Jeff Johns. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Jeff Johns. Yeah. Yeah, he's talented. Yeah. I'm not the hugest. You guys know that. I'm not the hugest, like, uh, especially the old DC stuff. I should probably give newer stuff a shot. I just always felt like, especially Superman in like the the seventies, yeah. was like I would read complex stuff like, like <laughs> I know, and it's like a soap opera, but the 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 tragedy of of Scott Summers when he, when he's dating a a clone of Gene oh, Gray yeah. turns yeah, out yeah. to be a demon from Limbo, and it was in league <laughs> with Mistress, and, and that kind of you know we're dealing, with, and then Superman uh, is you know allergic to a rock, yeah. <laughs> so i i never could gravitate towards that stuff. Sure, batman sure. was a little different right batman yep, was a little yep. different but as a kid i never like aquaman okay that's yeah he could breathe underwater but look at namor he could yeah. fly when he's in his yeah you know, so i just and and maybe i should go back and give some of that stuff uh you know because a if, lot of people there, there is my individual favorite comic of all time is actually a DC comic. Yeah, yeah. And that's the Batman's Dark Knight Returns. Oh, that's Dark my Knight favorite Returns, yeah. comic of all time. Uh, but I can't say Batman's my favorite character or that I, you know, like, 
a lot of people but, did criticize the visual style of the new 52. It's like, oh, they, you know, when, you know, in the 90s when Marvel, everybody had to have pouches. So now right, in, right. The new, in the new 52, everybody had to have like armor. It looked like armor panels, <laughs> right? But yeah, honestly, it's not any more ridiculous than just nude people with like, <laughs> with like body paint, different just body painted. Removed, yeah, right? yeah. But they're like, just body painted. Yeah. <laughs> I have been doubling down on these things lately. And it's a, it's like, this was 30 bucks and there's yeah. the first 18 issues of the Fantastic Four. So I highly, if, if you guys miss comics, if you love comics, uh, the way that comics are available, you know, I, I just bought 18 classic comics that would have cost me $150,000 to read. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. For thirty bucks, and the reprints are always yeah fantastic way to consume stuff. Now that I've got my freaking glasses and I can actually read comics offline, yeah, yeah. Um, I can't encourage people enough to, to you know I'm not trying to I don't work for Marvel or anything, but what a great way to consume classic stuff, and especially with what's going on now, uh, all like there are so many dips into the classic six one six that I just can't stop reading all that old stuff. Just and it's just making this stuff have so much more relevance and stuff. And I mean, uh, you know, we don't necessarily talk about it very much on our show, but uh, there are lots of other people out there on the internet who are putting together, uh, you know, key issue uh, lists of stuff that you want to read that will will help you get more connected to what's going yes. on in the MCU. So those are real. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, well, I found a really cool. It's called Marvel Database, and it yeah. lists actually it lists every single issue of of comics released so if you're like i don't know a weirdo like i was like uh, i want to read everything that was released the year i was born oh yeah and it actually go 1971 in marvel database and it tells you every single comic in in like monthly order that was released and then i was like well you could actually get the entire chronological reading list yeah 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 of the entire marvel universe oh that was like that hurts my brain i could do that before i die <laughs> that hurts my I'm, brain i'm gonna try <laughs> <laughs> And if you don't want to break the bank, our Canadian uh, audience, you know, make your way to Dollarama because oh they my have gosh, been getting yes. graphic novels left, right, and center. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dollarama's got yes. has been a treasure trove. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You cannot go wrong. I picked no, up a, a I definitely got a few a bunch of Star pieces. Trek out of that. Yeah. Star Trek, Star Wars, DC, Marvel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah this was the, the last Dollarama find. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. It's and thick, man. It's not. It's no joke for four bucks. No, no. All right, guys. Well, that's uh, that's been our part two of of uh, so what? It's our uh, fandom power look at uh, Marvel's What If, currently airing on uh, Disney Plus. So we're going to be back in a couple of weeks once we've got uh, episodes uh, seven, eight, and nine have dropped, and uh, then we will be back with another uh, installment of So What. Uh, can't speculate on where we're going next, but uh, I know that we're when we wrap up here, we're going to have a little offline chat about Star Wars Visions. So we may, uh, you may see something on that in the next couple of weeks. But um, that's it for me, guys. Any more for any more? Who watches like the subscribe. watchers? We do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget to like and subscribe. All right, mm. guys. That's it for me from Fandom Power. I'm Wes. I'm Andy. I'm Hank. And we'll uh, catch you next time, guys. Bye for now. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Fandom Power. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be talking about another one of your favorite fandoms. Fandom Power is a Sawcast production.
Have you ever wanted to start a podcast, but you didn't know where to begin? Maybe you'd like to try podcasting without having to invest in any recording equipment. Do you have an idea for a show, but you're not sure how to develop it? Let Sawcast Productions take care of all of that so you can focus on what it is you want to say. Sawcast Productions offers podcasting solutions ranging from recording and basic editing to fully produced episodes complete with all the audio embellishments of a broadcast quality show. When your show is ready, Sawcast Productions can distribute it too. Contact us online today. So, what do you want to say? 